That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, before it was the title of a best-selling book by Malcolm Gladwell, David and Goliath was a story in the Old Testament, and we're going to talk about that today, as well as St. Paul in 2 Corinthians, and Jesus will go on a little boating trip. It's the I'm on a boat passage in Mark's Gospel, but before we get to that, how you doing? Uh, same as I was last week. I'm doing really well. So, same you know. as it ever was because, hey, mm. listeners, we're recording all these episodes at the same time and we're still doing good. Punching them out. Punching them out. So, right. um, yeah, nothing's come into my office that's frightened me. Um, <laughs> you know, here we are. Does so, that happen uh, sometimes? Occasionally, especially when I'm talking to you. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, nasty bill gets dropped on my desk. So, but, um, yeah, how are you doing? Doing good. Uh, good. And working your way through those Daniel Steele novels. That's right. Little by little. Uh, so edifying, those books. Actually, I got to say, listeners, I have never read a Daniel Steele novel. They're just sort of like when I want to make fun of trashy writing. That's what I do. Uh, but anyways, I read a lot of Nelson DeMille last summer. A family member recommended them to me. And uh, he's, uh, he's definitely a page turner. Um, but man, it is not high art. But hey, I'm sure he's a great guy. He writes some really good stories that are mm. engaging. And every, basically every story is some, like the male lead is basically like kind of a Han Solo, Indiana Jones, lovable rogue type person mm. that has really conflicted relationships with women and like zero emotional intelligence um, or maturity. But anyways, mm. sorry Nelson and your readers. Uh, let's get into some truly inspired well, texts, though, known this as is, the Bible. This is, and we kick off, I mean, with uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, what a long reading this is, but um, it is action-packed. This is the story of uh, David and Goliath. Um, uh, and um, basically, to set the scene, you know, the... Um, the Philistines, uh, they have been at war with the people of Israel, and we get to this point, and basically the way they uh, fought battles oftentimes in those days is sometimes you'd run out and um, everybody would be like a giant, you know, mosh pit, and everybody would just be uh, hacking each other's apart. We've but all seen other Braveheart. Times, other times, and this was uh, more often than not, just in, in, in a big part because there weren't a lot of people, um, was you would send out your hero or your champion. And this is really what's going on here, is, is that you have this giant of a man. Um, some say he was a descendant of the Nephilim, but a, a giant of a man. Some say he just had like Goliath. a thyroid disorder. Mm-hmm. And others say, no, I'm just kidding, but uh, um, <laughs> um, 
he uh, he just was really big. And so, um, but nonetheless, you have Goliath who comes out representing the Philistines army. And then um, you have uh, Israel there. And where is Israel? Well, Israel is all, they're, they're backed up behind uh, these rocks. They're frightened. Saul is frightened. All of Israel is frightened because they don't want to go up against um, uh, Goliath. I picture, when I picture Goliath in my mind's eye, I picture that WWE wrestler. You remember him from back in the 90s, early 2000s, the big show? Mm. Um, I don't, so, Jake. Or, I don't remember mm. that because I wasn't watching that oh, trash. That's right. You went to Harvard. Ah. So, but <laughs> at the University of Arizona, we watched uh, we WWE. We gather and around so with our yeah. Cool Ranch Doritos <laughs> and our Mountain Dew. Our Funyuns. And, Whereas uh, at Harvard, you know, we had just a really nice brie and, uh, <laughs> and some sherry. Yeah, that's right. We would listen to audio f- recordings of uh, 1930s radio shows. That's what we did. That's right. Yeah. So, but uh, the, you have uh, everybody's frightened, and um, and uh, and David is off, and um, he's come to bring his brother sandwiches, and he sees what's happening, and um, basically shows up and is like, "Holy smokes, I can take this guy on." And um, and there's all sorts of things going on here, but one of the big things. Well, I don't. Before I get into my big thing, uh, do you have anything you want to add on the context there, Aaron, or anything? No, I, I, I mean I appreciate you drawing me in, but uh, yeah, no, I think you've you've covered it pretty well. Go k- carry carry on. So um, so this is one of the big things where Jesus talks about all of the law. And the prophets and the Psalms point unto me. Uh, this scene in particular is a um, is a type and a shadow of what uh, is to come. So you begin with uh, you know uh, David showing up, and he's like, "Holy smokes, who is this? You know, basically uncircumcised Philistine who taunts the pe- the, the the armies of the Lord." And he's like, "I'll go out and handle this business." And Saul's like, "Are you kidding? This is the most ridiculous thing. You know, you're just a little." kid. And he's like, no, 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 I'm a shepherd. I've, I've handled worse. And so they begin to strap him up into, um, into uh, Philistine armor. And he's like, you know, this, this just isn't going to work. I can't, I can't move in these things. So David removes all of the armor and uh, takes his little staff and he chooses five smooth stones from the wadi, which is a basically a riverbed. And he goes out to take on um, Goliath. Now at this moment, this is where we tend to like moralize the story. And you know, what are the five stones in your life? And what are the Goliaths in your life and all of this? And, um, and this is, this is to, um, this is not to preach the gospel out of this passage. Um, G- uh, David is a type and a shadow of the one to come, his greater son. And so you have uh, David, like Jesus, going out on behalf of God's people who are um, hidden behind the rocks, completely helpless, mm. even with their uh, human kings and leaders. And David goes out in foolishness, um, you know, not with the, uh, the, ar- the armaments of battle, but with, uh, with five smooth stones and a stick. And literally the whole world mocks it, mm. um, you know what I mean? And they like disdain it. And, uh, and then uh, David just, um, well, he wallops Goliath and takes him down. But this isn't about you taking down the Goliaths in your life. This points us to David's greater son who in foolishness and weakness, while we are all uh, held captive and helpless to the enemies of God's people, not necessarily the Philistines, but this time sin, death, and the devil, David's greater son goes out by himself 
um, in foolishness and weakness, the foolishness of the cross and the foolishness of his death. And he takes on the enemies of God's people and he conquers them in his death. And uh, by virtue of his victory, his rising from the dead, we, God's people, who are completely helpless, receive the benefits of that victory. If you notice, all of Israel receives the benefits of David's victory here. And, uh, and so uh, we receive the benefits of Jesus' victory, David's greater son, which is all of God's grace, all of God's mercy, all of God's love, which com- completely covers us in a righteousness that is not our own. And, uh, and so, you know, really, if you're going to preach this text, drive it to Jesus. This is one of those texts in the history that just screams his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. And, and, you know, it is a longer passage. If you want to cut the optional first half and just talk about the second half, you can do that. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, this, this Sunday, in track one, gives you two options from First Samuel, the David and Goliath story, or a story about David meeting Jonathan and David becoming kind of Saul, Jonathan is Saul's son, and, and David becoming buddies with Jonathan, and then becoming a kind of high-ranking officer in David's army, mm. and, or in Saul's army. It's, I mean, it's it's just a lot less interesting and a lot less preachable, and yeah, I think and a lot less familiar to people. And so there, stick with the Goliath story, and also you can do cool Sunday school projects for absolutely. the children's ministry, like, uh, <laughs> you know, take your colored pencils and color in what do you think Goliath's severed head looked like, you know? Yeah, you can do a paper mache paper mache uh, severed heads. There's you all sorts of memories. You can have kids try out, hit targets with rocks and slings. I mean, what could go wrong? It's, uh, you know, just There's all sorts the Bible. Of, all sorts of amazing memory verses. <laughs> Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? I mean, that's <laughs> come a to me and I right will give, there. Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild <laughs> animals of the, f- the field. Uh, oh, this is my favorite me- memory verse. You come to me with a sword and a spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And this very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give your dead bodies to the Philistine armies this very day to the birds of the air. Can you imagine your children coming home knowing that verse, how edifying it will be? This is a perfect plug for story makers, NYC. Get yours today. (laughs) That's right. That's the children's ministry, uh, um, uh, children's ministry content creators run by Melina Smith, Jacob's uh, wife, and, uh, and, and of which I'm ministry on the board, of Mockingbird. So full disclosure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Ministry of Mockingbird Ministries, and it's an incredible resource if you're looking for children's content for your church. So yeah, and I think the other thing that we continue to see in this, you know, back, back to the text, um, <laughs> that we see here is David continuing to be... Um, the way that God is going to work, and it's the way that nobody sees coming. So when Samuel anointed David king over Israel, again, he's still not king, but he's, he's been given the promise. Um, you remember he looked at all those different brothers of David to consider which one would be the next king, mm-hmm. and they overlooked David. They didn't even think he would be the, be the guy, so they just left him out tending sheep. That's right. Um, and it turns out he's the guy. And then hear this story. All of David's brothers are on the front lines preparing to fight the Philistines. Uh, and where is David? He's like still back at home uh, helping his mom and dad with the domestic chores. And he, the only reason he ends up in this place is because he, uh, he, he's there, as you said, Jake, to de- deliver sandwiches. He's bringing his brother's food. Um, so the whole thing here is the way God works in your life is probably not in the places you're expecting it. You never see it coming. And um, 
this is why the world didn't see Jesus coming as well. Uh, but this is how God continues to work, and and I think it gives us some some it can give people hope when they're going through difficult times to know that God actually can, is working, but you usually won't see it until it's right upon you, and it's going to be in a very surprising way. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, as Jake said, do not make this into like a inspirational Instagram post about how God. You know, God, you can say that God is going to work in a surprising way, in a way that you never see coming. Yes, but then make sure you then take that to Jesus Christ and say, we know this most surely because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Mm. And this story is not about be a David to defeat a Daniel because you have really strong faith. This is about Jesus Christ who had the faith and the, I mean, gosh, he's the son of God. So he's the, he's the one that, that, that defeats the Goliath of sin, death, and the devil. So make sure you talk about Jesus if you talk about David and Goliath. Don't Amen. make it a moralistic then, fable. Yeah. And then we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. So, and um, here, we, um, here we are, and uh, Paul is continuing to talk about, um, uh, well, basically now is the acceptable time, you know. Uh, uh, he's talking about salvation. Yeah, and he's, he is, um, he, again, he, this is a long stretch where he continues to be addressing the deal with these super apostles the the other preachers of Jesus uh, who were preaching sort of the same message but they kind of failed in one key way they they said yes Jesus died and rose again Jesus was the son of God but um, if you follow him everything will go great for you it's sort of like prosperity gospel preachers and the reason that Paul was having a hard time uh, retaining his audience, having a hard time keeping the Corinthian church um, on the right path was because they were really attracted to this message that um, if you if you make God happy, he'll give you all the stuff that you want. Uh, and they looked at Paul and they saw Paul who was not living his best life now. As he says in this passage, he is dealing with hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, etc., etc. So how could he be favored of God? How could his message be true if he's dealing with all of that stuff? And he he says, um, you know, the, the whole thrust of his argument has always been that, look, this is, this is sort of what happened to Christ, and this is what our life looks like. Our life is cross-shaped too. Jesus himself said that the servant is not going to be greater than the master, and if the master went through all this, we will go through it too. Um, And so, he's just reminding them of this, um, and he's giving, I think, a really beautiful picture of the Christian life for all of us, because I guarantee you that everybody in your congregation, while they're not being actually persecuted by the Roman Empire, they do know what it is like to be a Christian, to love God, and to be suffering at the same time, and not understand what's happening. So, they know what it's like to feel punished and yet not killed. Man, that's what 2020 did to all of us. Um, and so if that's, uh, if, if that's uh, something that um, you want to preach on, that will connect to people. Because this is, this is with the Christian life. The, the quote-unquote victorious Christian life means you are dying and living at the same time. And, that's and right. Paul, Paul just says, look, my heart's open to you. It's not, it's not me. It's definitely you. you. You are the one that are kind of holding back because you... You think that you think this message is I don't know you don't like it and so you're trying to cut yourself off from me but this is what life is actually like yeah and I think that's really one of the key points of of, of preaching the gospel and 
and what like the theology of the kind of the cross reminds us of is that um, while Jesus has had his resurrection from the dead, you and I most certainly haven't. And so, you know, the Christian life does take the shape of a cruciform life. However, uh, Christian, the promise is, is that with, you know, now is the day of salvation. And so the promise is, is that you are seated with Christ as well. You know, and so this is why, you know, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we're treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, and dying and see we are alive. I mean, this is, this is the kind of the already and the not yet aspect of the Christian faith. Yeah, and, and when Paul begins this passage by saying, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Mm. Uh, he's not saying what you've heard from some preachers, which is if you become a Christian, but then you fall back into sin, you're toast. Um, uh, you know, if you don't up your sanctification to the acceptable level, then you obviously are not a real Christian. Um, what he's saying is, uh, when he talks about accepting the grace of God in vain, it's he's saying if you if you accept the grace of God, but then you go back to a works-based understanding of God, it'll crush you. Uh, if you if you abandon grace and go back to trying to earn something, um, then that grace was in vain. Like you you missed the whole good news. You missed the point. You missed the joy. You missed the life. Um, and so he says, and he's, he um, he quotes uh, this passage that would have been familiar uh, from Isaiah forty nine, verse eight, uh, the day of salvation. Just saying, hey, like you can come back anytime. Like there's no there's no obstacle. And and that's why he says, you know, this message of grace, it is free and beautiful and wonderful. It will always be offensive, and that's why I'm going through all the trials and sufferings that I am. So, um, yeah, don't don't make this about a um, you can lose your salvation if you if you if you mm. mess up too big or something like that. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's saying like you're losing the message of grace because you're going back to a message of works, which is the, the, kind of what the super apostles were, were preaching. So anyways, uh, you get a real sense of Paul's pastoral heart. He loves his people. He's not mm. he's not yelling at them because, uh, I don't know, He's he just he says our heart is wide open. He really does love them. He cares for them. And, and when you see somebody going back into a religion of works and away from one of grace, it is heartbreaking and... Um, that's something you and I have seen, Jake, and uh, and um, something that we are always susceptible to, because because works and earning is always attractive in some level, because it puts us makes us feel like we're in control. Mm. But Paul says, mm. don't don't do you it. You know, and I think I think the the interesting thing about this too is is that like works and going by what we see um, always pushes the makes the um, uh, I think. It, it makes that which we can't see all the more invisible, you know what I mean? And only accentuates the parts where we think we're being punished, you know, uh, the, the parts where we think we're uh, poor, the po po points where we think we're dying, all of these things, you know, when we think we're earning it, all we can actually see is that, you know, and this is why the gospel that Paul preaches and why he wants their hearts so open is because you have to see with your heart that in the midst of punishment, you're not killed. In Amen. the midst of sorrow, so you have to hear that you can rejoice. And uh, while being poor because of Jesus and his righteousness given to you, uh, you are rich and you possess absolutely everything you need to see you through this age and into the age that is to come. Yep. And so we move to Mark 4. Uh, always sorts of, sort of feels like we go back in time, which we kind of do from Paul's writing, which is uh, yeah. later in the first century, now to Jesus' ministry 
before anybody knows who Paul is. Uh, this is him uh, working with his disciples early in that time in his ministry, and they're on the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a small inland lake, and they want to go across the other side. And so uh, they get on a boat, and this windstorm comes up. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is basically like in a bowl. Imagine a bowl filled with water, because there's these kind of hills and mountains all around it. And so, I mean, not mountains, they're like big hills. And uh, this sort of this storm gets whipped up really quickly in there. And the boat's being swamped, and Jesus is asleep. And they wake him up, and they say, don't you care that we're dying? And he wakes up and says, peace, be still to the water and the waves, and then everything's great. So, Jake, what would you preach about this? Well, I think the first first point is, is they're out on the sea. And remember, what does the sea represent in the New Testament? It represents uh, uh, chaos. You know, they're out in the midst of uh, something very chaotic. And, uh, and this idea of a great windstorm arising, kind of the understanding here in the Greek is that this just isn't kind of a, a bad little storm. This is actually a demonic force that um, in the midst of this chaotic area that um, is going to take their life. You know what I mean? And, um, and I love that Jesus is in, asleep in the back of the boat. You know, he's just resting. And uh, I can't help every time I read this passage, but think of Medea, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, and uh, they're talking about peace be still, and Medea misunderstands and is like, peace of steel, peace of steel, <laughs> and pulls a gun out of her purse. And so and she's like, I got a piece of steel. So, but the I, the point here is that he, he speaks, and he can speak uh, in the midst of the chaos of your life. And he's speaking in the midst of the chaos of your life. And this is good, kind of ties back into what Paul is talking about, you know. He's speaking to the already. And you have to cling to the already in order to hear it. But um, oftentimes, and I think we were talking about this right before, we think that like kind of, uh, and it's easy to think that in the dog days of summer, that God is kind of retired, that God has left you in the midst of your chaos, uh, that God has forgotten you, that God is literally asleep, and uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting. Jesus here, it says he's in the stern, which means he's in the back of the boat. And it's this amazing picture of God asleep on a cushion while he's getting sprayed. With, like the boat is full of water. <laughs> it's like so noisy. Um, it always amazed me when our kids would fall asleep in the back of the minivan when there was like a ton of noise and you just, you couldn't wake them up. Uh, and that's sort of like Jesus is, he's like deep in sleep. If you can sleep in a storm, you're like, basically, if you can be asleep on a roller coaster while getting buckets of water poured on your head, that's the level of sleep that Jesus has attained here. And, um, it's like on the log ride. Yeah. He's on the long, yes, that's right. And, uh, the flume and, (laughs) uh, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? This is a prayer that everybody has prayed, even if they never mm-hmm. actually verbalized it or said it out loud. You felt it like, God, I'm dying here. Throw me a freaking bone. Um, and Jesus responds immediately. He just rebukes the wind. And so here, the thing that this shows here is that Jesus um, Jesus can be with you in two ways through the storm. He can make the storm go away, or he can ride out the storm with you and get you through the other side. If they'd not woken him up, that's what would have happened. Jesus was not going to die here. The boat was not going to sink. We don't know what would have happened because we don't, you know, we don't get to see that uh, that plot line. But uh, this uh, this story shows 
uh, how God often works in our life. We feel like he's not present, but he is present. Uh, he does care, and he can deal with whatever is confronting us. Um, and it's important to note here that he, he stops the wind and the sea verbally, this is the one who spoke the, the world into existence. He was the word of God at the creation when God said, let there be light and let there be water and let there be the earth and all that stuff. Um, and here the word again is spoken. And so it shows God's power over creation. That's certainly a point here. Uh, also it shows what human beings are like. They've already seen Jesus heal people miraculously. They've seen him do incredible things. And yet they still, as he, Jesus points out, they still have no faith. Uh, and again, the point don't <laughs> the point of this passage is not have more faith because the disciples have zero, and yet God is still able to work in Jesus Christ. This is the thing that I come back to again and again in my ministry. People think that God doesn't work in their life because they don't have sufficient faith, and you can point to stories like this over and over and over again where God works, where Jesus works, even though people have no faith. He specifically says, "Have you no faith?" and yet he's able to do the work. So, uh, Jesus can do the work in your life, uh, even if your faith is a tiny mustard seed or feels like even a mustard seed cut in half. Um, he still has the power to do what he needs to do. And he's with you, whether you feel like he's asleep in the boat or maybe he's awake. Um, he is with you and uh, he will get you through. And of course, Amen. the big thing that he gets through is his death. This is where it looks like he really has given up. This is a little bit of a kind of foreshadowing too of, of that time in his life where the disciples think all is lost and they actually have lost all faith. They're hiding. They, they think it's all over. Even though he said he would rise again, uh, they don't believe it. They don't remember it. And they think it's all just a complete failure. Uh, and yet he still rises from the dead. So this is, this is the mercy of God that it's not, we have to hold up our end of the bargain. He holds up the whole end of the bargain, which is really good news. Amen. Well, that'll do it for, uh, what are we on? Like episode 142, the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, we hope this helps you in the pulpit or in your life. And we'll see you again next week as we pick up again, uh, see what King David is up to, see what St. Paul is up to, and see what our Lord Jesus Christ is up to. And until that time, may he hold you in the palm of his hand. Uh, yeah, that's all. Amen. That's all we got. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody wonders what you're doing today You know we crucified him, buried him But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away and yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production, and remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.